Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sanya Faruqi show. Today, we have somebody joining us uh, from somewhere in Europe. So I'm going to quickly introduce her before I uh, let you know where she's from. Shada Islam is one of Brussels' influential and smartest thinkers on Asia, a specialist on European affairs who works independently as a commentator, advisor, analyst, and strategist on Europe, Asia, Africa, geopolitics, trade migration, inclusion, diversity, and women empowerment. She runs her own Brussels-based global strategy and advisory media company, New Horizons Project. Shada, thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Sanya Faruqi show today. Sanya, thank you for reaching out to me and for having me on your show. It's really nice to meet you. Lovely, likewise. So, Shada, today we're going to be covering various topics, uh, you know, everything that's going on in Europe from the Black Lives Matter, how that changed a big policy in the in that side of the world, and also how the terror attacks in France and Australia, uh, sorry, in Austria, have put Europe's 25 million Muslims back in the spotlight. So, coming back to what happened in June, the EU adopted the slogan Black Lives Matter. It voted, uh, voted to denounce racism and police brutality, both within the bloc and the US. So does that mean that Europe is finally ready to talk about racism? Is that happening just on paper or are we seeing the actions being taken on the ground as well? Actions are being taken. But before I go into that, let me just say that though my name doesn't uh, show it, I am European myself. Uh, so this is very important. Uh, I know my name is exotic. I was born in South Asia, in Lahore, and I've been here for almost 40 years. I came to uh, Brussels and I call myself an accidental European because that was not part of my trajectory, <laughs> but I came here and I've stayed because I love Europe. I love the diversity of Europe and I love the freedom of Europe. So this is something I'm a proud European to start off with. Uh, now you to come back to your, your question. So um, what happened was that in June, when we had these protests in the United States, when George Floyd was tragically killed, um, there were also riots uh, and protests in Europe. Uh, also Black Lives Matter hashtag, right? And this was quite surprising because uh, we didn't really expect an explosion of emotion and passion in Europe because racism in Europe had been going on, you know, there's systemic racism, there's structural racism, but it's all been sort of par for the course. Agencies have been talking about it, warning that there was a rise and rising, you know, uh, extremist, far-right, populist parties. We knew that there was a really racist agenda being pursued by certain populist parties. But the reaction to that was rather low key. And the question wasn't really top of the agenda of European Union leaders. And what happened was rather interesting. In fact, you know, uh, socially very, very interesting. What happened in the United States and quickly uh, caught the passion uh, of, of Europeans of color uh, in, in across the European Union. So not just in the United Kingdom, where there is a very active anti-racist movement, but across the European Union as well. There were riots and protests in France and in Berlin and Brussels. And people in Europe, people of color in Europe were out in the streets with their white counterparts saying, we also in Europe can't breathe. And this, I think, flustered flustered a lot of European Union leaders because they hadn't expected it. You know, this was, they were coming out and being um, rather sympathetic to what was happening in the United States, you know, 
con you know condemning the the violence against black people there but they they were taken aback and, uh, and rather puzzled by what is happening in our backyard is happening in our countries um, and that really uh, I, I was quite impressed because you had uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel coming out very early on and saying look we have racism in Europe as well. We have issues to deal with as well. Uh, Mark Rutte in the Netherlands said the same thing. And very quickly, the European Union, which has actually been very silent about issues of race and ethnicity and religion, yeah. actually is very uncomfortable with these questions, also came out, held an emergency meeting and said, look, we have to look into our structural racism, our unconscious biases and have to start doing something about it. So I was actually, I have to say, having watched this for a long time, written about it for 20, 25 years. I mean, I'm not new to the topic. I was very pleasantly surprised at how quickly people were reacting. Um, now we do have uh, awareness of the issue. Uh, there is an action plan. There's an agenda for action that's been drawn up very quickly uh, by the European Union institutions. And uh, we, it's been now, what, three or four months since that was done. And now, of course, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So uh, in a few weeks, we will be looking back and sort of evaluating uh, yeah. what's been done and what's not been done. So, you know, but at least at least a recognition has come that we need to act. And one thing that I'll say, Sanya, uh, before you cut me off, one thing that's very important is that in the European Union institutions per se, there are not many people of color. And that is also a very important part of the uh, anti-racist uh, action plan is to increase the number of people who look like you and me in the European Union institutions, thereby recognizing us as Europeans, full-fledged Europeans. And that's a big struggle. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, um, while, while all of this was happening, there were still leaders from several European countries who believe, or rather who still believe, Europe needs to be protected from outsiders. So who are these outsiders? How do you define that? So it's a very difficult definition, but it's interesting you should say that because there is in fact um, an official, a senior official, a European Union uh, commissioner, who has been charged and the title of his portfolio is promoting the European way of life. So I guess in uh, some people's minds, uh, the outsider is someone uh, who doesn't abide by the European values and the European way of life. Now you could argue that that's a dog whistle uh, as many of us have to the far right, but it's very anchored in, in the European uh, approach to who is a European, what is European identity, and a hidden message really that comes across is an outsider uh, who is not Christian and who is not white. That is the underlying message that's been given uh, by the far right, you know, by the Marine Le Pen's and the Geert Wilders of this world, but also to some extent by mainstream politicians who have bought into the far right discourse because they think it gets them votes. Um, so the message that's coming out is through the school books, through the curricula, uh, through the story of Europe. The story of Europe is an inclusive story, but that story is not being told uh, properly. So the narrative around Europe, who is European, is uh, very much uh, color-based, if, if you like, and to some extent religion-based. 
Uh, though, of course, as you know, Muslims are European, Jews are Europeans, Buddhists are Europeans, but that diversity isn't really um, recognized. And you will still hear a lot of people across Europe uh, when they meet someone like me and I say, well, hello, I'm Belgian, I'm European. And they'll say after a few minutes, but where are you really from? And so, you know, it's not where you're from, that's fine. Uh, you can say, well, you know, I'm of Pakistani descent or I'm an Indian descent, or, you know, I was born in Lisbon and traveled. You could say all that, but it's the really from uh, that, that, that really is the uh, very, I would say, um, how would I put it, offensive. Yeah. 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 So could you talk a little about um, European government's relationship with its Muslim citizens, considering, you know, we're talking 25 million Muslims, uh, you know, are currently living across Europe. Yeah, so it's a complex relationship and it's a relationship that is based on this idea, as I said, that you're really a foreigner here. Um, you're really not part of our history, our culture, our geography, which is total nonsense because anyone who's uh, done and read history knows that Islam and Muslims are very much part of Europe's history and part of Europe's present. Um, you know, they're huge stakeholders in our economy, in our society, in our politics. But that complexity of what it is to be a European, which brings us to the, the last uh, bit of conversation we had, the fact that you can have multiple identities, that you can have fluid identities, um, and that religion is only part of your personality or what identifies you, that is somehow lost in this very simple debate of who is not a European, who is a European, between us and them. And unfortunately, Islam has become very closely um, tied to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the concept of the other. Uh, you know, through the centuries, the, the, the religious wars, the crusades, and this idea that somehow um, Islam is an invader and a foreigner in Europe, I think is an abiding one, which makes it very complex and complicated for European citizens of Muslim descent who live here, 25 million, and growing. Uh, and don't forget that in, uh, in the Balkans, there are countries that are Muslim. Um, and this is, and, and you know, I think overall, if you were to look at the overall figure of Muslims in Europe, it would be more like 50 million or so. So this is, yeah. and it's a, it's a growing population. So our leaders will have to come to terms with this. So, and I think that process is underway, but it gets um, pushed back, if you like. There's always a retreat whenever there is a very tragic and horrible terrorist uh, act. And there, um, the reaction is very much, as we've seen also in the United States after 9-11, there is uh, a tendency, a very unfortunate uh, tendency to try and stigmatize and culpabilize, responsibilize uh, a whole community for the actions of a minority, which, uh, which is a board and absolutely not part of the discourse of the majority of Muslims in Europe who are taxpayers, law-abiding citizens, and very much, as I said, part of the social fabric, the political and economic landscape of Europe. So it's a complicated relationship. There are advances that are made every day, um, and then there are retreats and major pushbacks uh, in, in moments when there are Islamist-inspired terrorist attacks, unfortunately, on our territory. 
Yeah. Coming to the migration policy, could you, you know, talk a little about that, considering a lot of um, refugees, a lot of uh, immigrants who do come into Europe are coming from uh, Muslim countries. How, how has the policy been reformed? What is it, what is being done to not other, the othering impact of, uh, you know, what we, what we just spoke about? How, how is that being dealt with in Europe right now? So, you know, uh, let me be very uh, sort of clear about this Europe that I love. There are deep divisions in Europe, as there are in many countries, deep polarization between the racist and the xenophobic elements, those who are uh, nativist uh, uh, and, you know, who really believe in these crazy conspiracy theories of a replacement being organized by Muslims, et cetera. You know, the nutcases. Um, and they are really, um, you know, they are not mainstream. I have to say they're not mainstream at all. This is a very, a, you know, a, a marginalized communities. But somehow their discourse is, because, you know, this is what happens, Sanya. We know that, don't we? That extremists always get the microphone. Extremists always get the, uh, the, the limelight, the spotlight. And people who are moderate and people who believe in coexistence and living together, their voices are hardly ever heard, you know? So once again, this extremist uh, minority um, is getting all the spotlight with its crazy, uh, I always say, lunibin ideas about, you know, what's happening uh, with the Muslim so-called invasion of Europe. Uh, but there are sensible people here as well who really believe in uh, living together, who believe that we belong to the same citizenry. You know, we're part of Europe as citizens. And there's this constant struggle uh, between the two, and you can see it, and that's why I'm talking about it, because you can see it in the debate uh, over migration. The European Union is now trying to come up with a new migration pact. You know, four years ago, five years ago, in 2015, there was this enormous rush of um, refugees and migrants who came to Europe, I mean, basically fleeing the Syrian war or leaving, you know, um, Afghanistan, and they came here. And you remember five years ago, the doors of uh, in Germany were opened by Merkel. Uh, Angela Merkel took the very brave decision not to close these uh, uh, desperate people out. She brought them in um, and they were welcomed. Uh, but that created a backlash among the far right and within Europe. So there are, uh, there are populists here. The leader of Hungary is one of them, Viktor Orban, notorious for having said very, very uh, disgusting things about Muslims, really strong insults against Muslims. And he's been told to, um, uh, I was going to say he's been told to shut up. Yeah, I'll say it. He has been told to shut up by many, many other European politicians. But we are in, a, we are in democracies. He was elected. You know, so uh, we have to bear the consequences of that. But there is a big debate going on on migration, and it's symptomatic of um, what we've been talking uh, throughout, Sanya, which is European values and how you actually implement them and enforce them. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you talk a little about how the countries are trying to tackle Islamist propaganda, considering we're seeing so many terror attacks take place? Do you think the steps that are being taken are justified? What are the concerns about them? So first of all, there haven't been that many terrorist attacks taking place, you know. Um, look, um, there are extremists in all communities and there are extremists in living and extremists, violent extremists exist uh, in many parts of uh, the world. What's happening here is, of course, I mean, there is um, 
I would say there are elements, radical elements who have infiltrated into the community. And that is something that I think our security agencies are very aware about and are tracking them after having lived through some rather dramatic and tragic attacks. So I think there's a more um, vigilance now. Um, and what's, what is also happening very, and I think this is very important, is that hate speech and recruitment on online is being curtailed and is being blocked as well. So a lot of ideas and a lot of action is being taken to counter violent extremism. And that is as much being done vis-a-vis -vis Islamist networks, if you like, some of them very deeply anchored, um, as it is towards far-right networks as well. So I think it's very important when we talk about Islamist-inspired um, tragedies, ter terror attacks, that we also make sure we say that they aren't the only uh, terrorists in Europe or in the world. Yeah. Um, so what can what steps can be taken to improve the collaborations across borders, given the current climate, which includes stacking the anti-Muslim sentiments, the migration policy, racism, Islamist propaganda? How do you think Europe can move forward um, in the current climate, which also includes a pandemic? Yeah, we are living in a pandemic. Now, just I want to say that one of the things that I think we can all do is actually to take a step back and not allow ourselves to be taken away, carried away by emotions. You know, we have to look at race relations, racial justice, migration, uh, Islamophobia or anti-Muslim hatred or anti-Semitism or anti-gay, anti-Roma. I mean, we live in societies where there are elements where, which are always spreading hate. Um, and I think one of the nasty bits of having had uh, Donald Trump in power in Washington was that there was this real cultural, if you like, cross-Atlantic conversation going on very openly, really, between the far right in, in the United States and the far right in, in Europe. And, you know, there were, um, I mean, it was very, very visible, very, very obvious. There were uh, attempts being made to actually foster anti-democratic forces here in Europe. Um, and so we have to make sure that that kind of uh, conversation is blocked. Uh, whether it's on social media or, you know, we have to educate. And I think this is where democracies um, or Democrats rather than democracies can actually work together on an international level to stop hate speech. Now, this is a big move being taken here in Brussels against uh, online platforms, the Facebooks and the Twitters, et cetera, of this world to make sure that there is no hate speech allowed or when it crops up, it's immediately blocked. So this is, this is extremely important. I also think that um, we can share experiences and learn from each other on how to respect minorities. I mean, there is, I think, worldwide, uh, I would say people are uncomfortable with the existence of minorities in many, many parts of the world, you know, across the globe. And I think we have to, in, in across the world, we can share experiences on how we can actually improve the treatment of minorities, give them more power, empower them, give them, give them better and stop discriminating against minorities. For me, this is one of the biggest things that the new president in the United States can bring. He's got a diverse um, uh, uh, government, that he a cabinet, etc. Here in Europe, we are moving towards a more diverse political framework as well. And I'm going to be writing something very soon that says that this is a conversation that United States and Europe need to have is on race, racial justice, 
and non-discrimination uh, against minorities. And these things, I think, is where we can actually work with each other. Also, uh, obviously, on issues of counterterrorism as well, where we should, we should be exchanging information uh, more actively. And I think we're beginning to do that. So a lot of room for international cooperation, a lot of room for cross-border fertilization of good ideas, not bad ideas. Yeah. So um, coming back to what we discussed initially, you know, diversity and inclusion, what is the role women are making are, or are in the decision making positions when it comes to everything that you just spoke about? So this is a very good question, Sanya, and thank you for putting it to me, because we're all focused on the wonderful Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. Right. And rightly so, because she's really um, let's say changing perceptions, but her acts are very important. You know, she's a real leader, leads from the heart, but also the head. Um, here in Europe, we have also um, some interesting uh, women leaders. I mean, I spoke earlier about Angela Merkel. She's very different from Ardern, um, much older also, and also a very different, uh, different style, um, but she's also full of empathy. She's also a woman who listens and she's a woman who understands and she's a brave woman as well. So I think that is a very, I mean, for us, it's very important that there's someone like that in a major country like Germany. Um, she is going to retire next year. So there will be an election and um, her contenders, I mean, the new uh, lot who are out for elections are all men, uh, regretfully. So we'll see <laughs> what happens. But, but what's really interesting now uh, here in Brussels, um, I'm in the European, you know, watching the European Union and we have a commission president uh, who is a woman, first time ever. Uh, the head of the Central European Central Bank is a woman for the first time ever. So we've got women in very strong leadership positions. To come back, uh, to circle back to what we were talking about, there are some women, actually all of these uh, important uh, files, these important questions that we talked about, racism, migration, um, Islamophobia, uh, all of these questions are in the hands of women. Yeah. So, uh, so the value-based uh, discussion that's taking place in Europe at the moment is being led by commissioners who just happen to be women, but they're very, very interesting and powerful women. They're not all from the center right, not all from the center left. Um, they have different political commitments. They have different political ideas. But by some sheer um, magical coincidence, uh, they are uh, in charge of these major, major files at the European Commission. I'm rather interested in that. I'm rather, I have to say, proud of that as well. And I'm interested to see how this will evolve in the coming years. But we are in the midst of change here, Sanya, in Europe. Uh, there's a new um, awakening, if you like, about issues that had been buried under the rug for years and years, issues to do with religion, race, color. Um, this was considered to be an American problem. It was happening on the other side of the Atlantic. It didn't concern us. Um, now, I think we understand that some of the things we took for granted, colonialism, for instance, you know, a lot of questions are being asked about what really colonialism did to the countries that were colonized. These debates had never been held before. People are talking about school curricula, changing it so children learn about the darker side of colonialism and not just the wonderful things that were done. Statues have been toppled here as well of old colonialists. So we're living through a, a moment of real change. 
um, which I think is very, very, very reassuring and also very good for the future of Europe. Yeah, so you have an optimistic approach when it comes to tackling all of these factors, including uh, the, you know, racism, including uh, migration policies and uh, treatment of Muslim citizens, Jewish citizens, all the citizens who are currently living in I Europe. Thank you, Sonia, for asking me that. I don't think I'm optimistic per se, but I think there is, I never give up hope. And I don't think people here have given up hope. As I said, we live in a society which is in the midst of change. Change is always difficult. Transition from one sort of comfort zone, if you like, towards another zone where you're living in multicultural societies, where you're suddenly dealing with people who don't you know, um, celebrate Christmas, we're used to celebrating Christmas, but then how do we do it with, you know, in a multicultural society? Well, you just go ahead and do it, you know, um, and invite your Muslim neighbors over, which is happening. So I, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic or pessimistic. I just think change is happening. Change is difficult, um, but people have to go for it. And one final thing, what the COVID-19 uh, has shown here is also how important migrants are when it comes to essential services. A lot of our doctors, nurses, um, tram uh, drivers, truck drivers, uh, supermarket workers, uh, taxi drivers who've been working nonstop during this pandemic are migrants, are Muslim, and sometimes are black as well. So all of these different uh, configurations that we've talked about um, have come together. And I think people's perceptions uh, are also changing. Finally, we're an aging society. We need young people. Um, our, 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 you know, our, our age, our number of older people is growing, the number of babies being born is reduced. So we will need foreign labor um, if we are to survive as uh, our economies are to survive, if our societies are to survive. So, you know, the far right can, um, can bark away uh, the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is very different and reality uh, I think will actually win because we need migration. Um, and, you know, we live in multicultural, multi-religious, multi-ethnic societies. There's no going back. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Shada. On that note, we have got our time alert uh, popping up, uh, but uh, thank you so much for joining. This was a wonderful conversation and uh, good luck with all the work that you're doing. It was truly wonderful to have you here on the Sanya Faruqi show. And um, yeah, thank you again for your time. And uh, for those who have joined us, uh, thank you so much for watching. I hope that you will subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram. Thank you for watching.